We're beginning a new series for the next two months going through the book of Daniel, and we're calling it God's Vessel, or to be specific, it's God's Vessel Among the Nations. See, Daniel is an Israelite who's been taken captive and exiled out into Babylon, right at the center where powerful forces don't care about his faith. That's where the book begins, and so what follows is a fascinating and instructive account of how God's servant could be faithful in exile and in fact become a vessel for God's glory among the nations. Let me read to you the first chapter. It's pretty long, but it's a fascinating story. Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for the three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there 
until the first year of King Cyrus. Throughout history, Christians have always resonated a lot with Daniel. And the reason is, the Bible says, we're exiles in Babylon as it were. Now, what does that really mean for us? And how can we stay faithful with life in exile? Well, let's get straight into it. First, let's look at the theme of exile. It's a key theme for the whole book of Daniel, our series, and in fact, for the whole of Bible. It runs all throughout the Bible. It's crucial, so let's unpack that a bit. Then let's ask how to be faithful in exile, and then last, how to have the kind of faith to stay faithful in our exile. So, first, let's look at the theme of exile, and you can see it right there at the beginning. Here are young Israelite men, Daniel and his friends, who are extracted out of their homeland to live in a foreign country with a different religion and a different culture. And they're now embedded in a land that is unsympathetic to their faith. Many times, Babylon is going to put tremendous pressure on them to compromise or abandon their faith in God. So the question then begins, how can God's people remain faithful in exile. And this is a key theme, like I said, that runs all through the Bible. God's people are in exile. It's right there even as early as Genesis. God tells Abraham, go leave your country. And so Abraham and Isaac and Jacob live practically as foreigners in a different land. And this continues on later on Israel is in exile in Egypt, and then here in Daniel, they're in exile in Babylon. When you get to the New Testament, guess what? Christians are called exiles. This is a key theme that runs all through the Bible. And unless you understand what this means, you'll never fully understand yourself. Why? Well, the Bible says, we were made to live in paradise. But because of sin, we were exiled out of it. And ever since that time, every person has been in exile. No one feels completely at home in this world anymore. How can this world be our home? Even if you don't believe in the Bible, you can at least see for yourself that something's not right. It's a world filled with death. We're always losing loved ones, always. Nothing good stays for good, and evil keeps coming out on top. If this world is all there is, and it's always been this way, then why do we feel deeply unhappy about that? Why do we feel such a deep longing for a place with no death, disease, or evil? Or what actually is that vague sense of dread you feel inside? What's that? The Bible says that's because we're in exile. We're not home. We were made to live in a perfect relationship of love with God. It's in His presence. That's our home. His presence where there is no sin, darkness, or death. In Him is life and light and love everlasting. That's what we want. That's what we need. That's where our home is. 
Without him, it's always exile. Now, when you become a Christian, you become reconciled to God and God's with you. And your exile is beginning to end, right? You're starting to get a foretaste of your home. So the closer you walk with God, the more secure and rested and at peace you feel. And that vague sense of dread evaporates every time you walk closely with God. So you're starting to sense home. You're homebound. But the irony is that also actually makes you more homesick than before. Because you're tasting home, but you're not there yet. You're still in exile. And so, as a Christian, you'll find that your Christian life is never really completely satisfying. There's going to be constant struggle. There's periods of dryness. There's sorrows you've never felt before. The reason is, we're still in exile, but we're homebound. So, on the one hand, being in exile means you're more homesick than before. But on the other hand, Being in exile also means you're in Babylon and there's going to be challenges and trials and pressures that you're going to have to face. See, like Daniel, we're now embedded in a land that is unsympathetic to our faith. At times, that's going to put pressure on us to compromise or abandon our walk with God. And see, the book of Daniel makes sure we understand this. In verse 2, it says, Babylon took some articles from God's temple and put it right inside the temple of the Babylonian God. Now that was a way of saying, your God now belongs to my God. Your God now serves my God. And that's what they also did to Daniel and his friends, right? You now belong to Babylon. You now serve Babylon. And Christians, that's what it means to be in exile. You are God's vessel. You belong to God, but you're in Babylon. You're inside a culture that serves something else other than God. And so that's going to put you into a lot of situations where if you choose to follow God, it's going to put you at odds against the culture. Now, let me put it this way. Some people say, You belong to yourself. You serve yourself. Or some others say, you belong to your family, your community. You serve them. But being a Christian means you belong to God. You serve God. And see, each of that is going to end up in different conclusions, different directions. And it's going to put you at odds with the culture. For instance, take money. Well, how do you see your money? Does it belong to you and it should serve you or to your family? Or does money belong to God and it should serve God? See, that's going to end up in very different places. And that's just money. Well, what about sex? What about power? What about all these different parts of your life? It's going to be very different. If you belong to God, you're going to be countercultural. You're going to be an exile among your community. See, that's why it's been often said that Christians are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in the world because we live here. You have, you're a part of society. 
You're fluent with the language and with the customs. You have a neighbor, a job, and hobbies just like everyone else, just with everyone else. So you're in the world, but you're not of the world because you have different thinking and different values and a different lifestyle. So your friends might like you, but they think you're kind of weird. You know, you're, you're one of them, but not really. And so that means many, many times you're going to find yourself in situations where your life would be so much easier if you would just compromise your faith. And so, the temptation that Daniel faced is also ours today. The world says, sure, bring your God in. Say you're a Christian, have your church, have your worship, but keep it to yourself. Don't bring your religion into business. Out here, you do as we do. You agree with what we say. In other words, the temptation is to stop being an exile. Just make this Babylon your home. Stop resisting. Just be one of us. But if you are to be faithful as a Christian, you have to belong to God. Now, let's look at number two then. How can we be faithful in exile? There's three things that we learn from Daniel, and Daniel exemplifies what faithfulness in exile means. Three things. In your heart, be resolved, in your head, be wise, and in your life, be attractive. So first, let's look, in your heart, be resolved. See, it says there, Daniel resolved himself. Now, to resolve means you set a very definite purpose for yourself, and you fully commit to it. So it's not just, uh, let's see if I can do that. No, no, no. To resolve means you take a seat, you take stock of your life, and you take a final permanent destination for your life, and you keep a steady course towards it, no matter how much winds may try to blow you off course. That's what Daniel did. He resolved, and that's what enabled him to be faithful. Now, you may be wondering, what does his resolve have to do with food and drinks? Well, this isn't about a plant-based diet, sorry to tell you, but this is about being loyal to God. See, on one level, the food and the wine from the king's table were probably unclean, according to the Old Testament laws. But on another level, you have to remember, in that culture, sharing a meal with someone was considered as committing yourself to friendship. And you'll see this many times in the Bible, when people made a pact, when they made a covenant with each other, they would eat together. And so Daniel wanted to reject this symbolic action of being tied up to the Babylonian king and his idols. No, no, no. Daniel belonged to God alone, no one else. Not even the great king can have him. And if it means risking his life to stay faithful, then so be it. That's the cost. Do you understand what it will cost you to be resolved? Jesus said, before you build a tower, count the cost. Well, what's the cost going to be if you resolve this way? It's going to require a lot of self-denial, a lot of courage. I mean, stop to think for a moment, what did it cost Daniel to resolve like this? 
Well, for one thing, he's literally risking his head here because if the king finds out and he gets insulted, Daniel's head gets chopped off, right? Now, if he does escape that, Daniel is still risking his social standing. You know what they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Well, here's a young man in Babylon who refuses to do what the Babylonians did. And so people are going to look at that, at this young boy. They're going to say, why is this young kid making such a big fuss over this? Doesn't he know many other Jews have eaten the same thing? There's no use being so strict about these little things, right? So people won't like Daniel. That means they're going to want to keep him down. And that means he's risking his advancement in life also. Now, even if somehow Daniel escapes all of that, he is most definitely not going to escape the fact that he's keeping himself away from such a very tempting pleasure. He's being commanded to eat and drink what is probably the best food and wine of the land. Could he want any better than that? Could he have any objections to that? There was none, only one, that it would defile him, and he would not. See, if you want that kind of resolve, here's what it's going to cost you. You're going to risk your physical well-being. You're going to risk your social standing. You're going to risk your advancement in life. And most definitely, you're going to be keeping yourself away from many, many tempting pleasures being offered to you every single day. That's the cost. Count it, but pay it anyway. Be resolved anyway, because there is no other home than God. Be resolved in your heart. And become like the man and woman of God that Charles Spurgeon says, They can burn, but they cannot turn. They can die, but they cannot deny the law of the Lord their God. Resolve in your heart, be resolved. And second, in your head, be wise. Now here's what I mean by this. Notice Babylon imposes three things onto Daniel and his friends. There's the food, and then there's education, and then there's new names. Now, Babylonian education, the literature, the language, it's filled with magic and sorcery and astrology, all of which God had forbidden Israel to practice. Then also you have the new names. Daniel and his friends, they had Israelite names that made references to Israel's God. But these Babylonian names made references to Babylonian gods. Now, here's what makes Daniel so remarkably wise. What does he do? He rejects the food, but he says nothing about the education and the names. Why? Because Daniel understood where to draw the line. He was wise enough to correctly identify which parts of that culture should be rejected and which parts could be wisely engaged in. See, the answer to us living in exile is on the one hand not to completely accept everything, but it's also not to completely reject everything. It's to be wise in engaging each aspect. See, Daniel 
takes on the education, the Babylonian education, because he never intended to practice the magic. We never once see him do that. In fact, in verse 17, we're told, God gave Daniel and his friends great learning through this pagan education. And this actually sets up Daniel to be in a position to witness about God to the highest powers of the land. And then there's the new names. Daniel says nothing about the names because what does it matter what people call him? What matters is what God says about him. And so, like Daniel, we have to be absolutely resolved. Be prepared to die for what matters, but be prepared to yield what you can yield. Being in exile means you're going to face a lot of different situations and making a big deal out of the things that don't cause any real spiritual harm is only going to cause unnecessary friction. We have to be absolutely resolved in our faith, but we have to be wise in how we carry it out. It's just as Jesus says, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. So being in exile, the answer is not to completely accept everything about our culture, but it's not to completely reject everything about our culture. We need to be wise and engage each and every aspect. We need to be prudent and discern how we should respond to every aspect of our culture. So on the one hand, just like Daniel refused some part of that culture, so also Christians should refuse some parts of our culture that, real, that bring real spiritual harm. For example, porn. But just as Daniel takes on some parts of that culture, so also should we wisely engage some parts of our culture for God's glory. For example, social media. See, the point here is we are absolutely resolved to be faithful to God, and that involves being wise and engaging our culture where they are to bring God glory. Now, how do you do that? Well, there's really no hard and fast rules here. It's going to take lots of hours in the scriptures, lots of hours in prayer, lots of discussions with the whole wisdom of the church. But here's a quick, simple test to get us started. Ask yourself, well, which parts of the culture am I intentionally rejecting? See, if there's none, then you're just completely accepting everything about the culture. You're just taking it in. You haven't resolved on anything. That's why you're falling for everything. Start there. Resolve first in your heart. Unless you do that, you're just going to end up completely identical to everyone else. You've made your home in Babylon. And when people look at you, they won't see any distinctive, life-transforming power of the gospel in you. Now, the flip side of that test is you ask yourself, well, which parts of the culture am I intentionally engaging wisely for God's glory? If you can't think of anything, then you're only completely withdrawing from the culture. And you'll just end up spending more and more of your time and energy on Christians. You're in a Christian bubble. 
you will never be out there engaging non-Christians where they are with the gospel. See, whether you completely reject or completely accept the culture, in both extremes, you're not drawing people to God through the gospel. In other words, you're no longer faithful in exile. If you want to be faithful, in your heart be resolved, but in your head be wise. And third, in your life be attractive. See, it says here, God caused the official to favor Daniel. But that also means there was something lovable about Daniel to begin with. There was something lovable that the official came to love, right? See, Daniel, look at how Daniel is so courteous and humble and respectful even as he requests for different food, right? And when the official denies him, what does Daniel do? Daniel doesn't go up in arms and argue. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you pagan. No, no, no. What does Daniel do? Daniel says, please. See, if Daniel was obnoxious, nobody would listen to this guy, and the story of Daniel just ends there. It's done. If Daniel re remained faithful to the end, he would die of hunger, and the story just ends there. He would not have the kind of impact he had on the kingdom of Babylon, neither would he be remembered centuries later and make an impact on our lives. See, being resolved and being wise is crucial to faithfulness. But an attractive character is what opens the doors for you to be fruitful in exile. You know why? Because being in exile necessarily means that if you're resolved for God at some point, you're going to oppose culture. You're going to offend people. Now, when that happens, you have to remain absolutely fixed. You're, you're resolved. But if you're arrogant and brash, then nobody's going to listen to you. You're not going to influence anyone. You're going to be unfruitful. But if you're kind and humble, winsome, then even though people might not like what you're saying, but they can't help but still like you. People are going to be drawn to you even though they disagree with you. Is that what people feel about you? Do you have an attractive character that draws in people? So if we want to be faithful and fruitful in exile, in our hearts we need to be resolved. In our minds we need to be wise. In our lives we have to be attractive. That's what we need. Now that's not easy, I know, and it's not meant to be. We're in exile. So then, let's look at number three. How then can we have the kind of faith we need to stay faithful like Daniel? To have his faith, we need to see what Daniel sees. Now what does Daniel see? He saw that he, even though he is in exile, even though it looks like he's losing, he is actually on the side of the sovereign God. He's winning. And not only that, it's, it's, it's he sees that that sovereign God is actually on his side also. See, on the one hand, you need to see that you're on the side of the sovereign God. And it's amazing how Daniel is, is even able to see this. What did he see? 
He never saw any incredible miracle. What did he see? The only things he saw was that God's city was destroyed. God's temple was defiled. God's people are in exile. How can anyone say, well, my God is sovereign? And yet, that's exactly what Daniel does. See, even though Babylon conquers Jerusalem, Daniel saw that it was God who gave it to them. So what Daniel's doing is, he's looking at everything horizontally happening in history, and he connects it vertically to God's sovereignty. He sees that everything that's happening, even the darkest tragedy of Israel's history, even that, it's firmly inside God's hands. And therefore, if that God is so big and sovereign, why should I fear Babylon if I'm on the side of my God? Why should I be intimidated? Why should I be discouraged? Why should I fear there's nothing to fear because I'm on the side of the sovereign God. Do you see that? Is that happening for you? Do you see how big your God is? That's how crucial worship is in exile. Without this, your faith won't last long. Because being in exile means everything you see, from your peers to the marketplace to internet, everything you see is going to make you feel like you're a loser, that you're on the losing side, that the, uh, the odds are stacked against you. But if you see that everything that happens here is all connected here to God's sovereignty, that everything, even the bad things, are firmly inside God's sovereignty, then what is there to fear? Why be intimidated? Why be discouraged? See that you are on His side. And see also that He is on your side. See, what does Daniel see? Every step of the way, with his life in Babylon, he sees God doing things for him. God intervening on his behalf, opening doors, enabling him every step of the way. God was on his side in exile. God was right there with him, and he is with you. He's also with you in your exile. Do you see that? Are you seeing that in your own life? How God is working things out in your life, opening doors, closing doors, enabling you to take the next step. God is right with you. That's how we can have the kind of faith to stay faithful in exile. We need to see that we are on His side and that He is on our side. That's what Daniel saw. And in fact, we see much more than Daniel. Because Daniel might have seen Israel's darkest tragedy, but we know the worst, darkest tragedy of all history. The Son of God crucified and murdered on a cross. And yet, and yet, even that was firmly inside God's hands. Because through that, God brings us exiles home. See, do you see just how far God went to be on our side in exile? Jesus went away from his home, from the Father. 
And he came to earth to become the most exiled exile. Look at what he went through. Look at the sorrows he had to face. Look at the pressures being put on him. Look at the challenges being put on him. Look at how homesick he was. But he does it. He becomes an exile so that he could bring us home with him. So here's what you need to say. Say, Sovereign Lord, I want to live for you in exile. I want to be faithful for you in exile because Jesus became an exile to bring me home because you are sovereign and you're on my side. Do that. Say that in prayer, in worship. And as you do that, you'll find strength coming into you so that you can continue journeying in this exile and stay strong and be faithful to the Lord your God. And someday, you're going to wake up and you're going to find yourself in His arms and you'll say, home at last. Home at last. Until that day, let us stay faithful. Let's pray. Our sovereign God, nothing is beyond your power. Everything is firmly in your hands. Nothing is out of control. You are in control. Lord, we thank you because we know that that sovereignty is working for our good. You are on our side working out for our good in this exile. So Lord, help us find strength. Help us find courage. Help us be resolved and be wise and be attractive. Lord, we thank you for your son that became an exile for our sakes. We know, Lord, that your hand is bringing us home. So help us find comfort in that. Help us find our faith. Thank you, Lord. We give you back all the glory and help us be vessels of your name among the nations. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who became an exile to bring us home. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray that this message encourages you and brings you faith. God bless you.